Today's the 23rd day of June in 2023, and we welcome you to the Chapter 49 podcast once again. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a retiree and a volunteer with Chapter 49, which represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana for the National Treasury Employees Union. And we welcome back once again our chapter president, Duncan Giles. Good to have you back, Duncan. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here. And uh, I want to just say one thing. Uh, we, As you may know, we do both a video and audio version of this podcast. I was away at another location what, uh, a week, week and a half ago or so when we did our last podcast. And let's just say the lighting was a challenge. I think I looked uh, like somebody out of a 1950s horror film, but could not get the lighting right. So, but the audio was fine, as far as I could tell, but uh, the lighting wasn't good. So the only solace I have is very few people saw that. <laughs> if they maybe tried to get on and saw it, I think I'm going to go to the audio version this week. But uh, we, as you said, as I mentioned, we do have both a, a YouTube a video version, uh, an audio version. It's been around uh, for about three years or so now that we've had this podcast going, and uh, and I do want to just mention that if you want to get an email every week with links to both the audio and video versions of this podcast, all you have to do is send an email to nteu49 at aol.com and Duncan Giles will put you on a list and you will be notified every time we have a new podcast with both the video and audio versions, whichever you wish to use. The audio version still gets a lot more play and it's because people can be in the car or doing something else listening and if you have to watch it, you have to sit and watch it and that's a little bit different uh, concept if you will. Although, you know, Duncan, people who have that YouTube hooked up to their regular TV, they can watch us on those big screen TVs. That's a scary thought. It is. And you know, for last week, I just thought about this. All you needed to have said is, I'm Batman. And it would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was it was definitely a dark room and it was a batman is a dark character <laughs> as as people didn't know where you were at you either had to have it very dark or it was going to be super light so you really didn't have much of a choice yeah i, I, I gave you a demonstration and then you realize why i had done what i did but no it's okay yep. we 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 got through it we just uh, we were able between our schedules my travels and yours uh, we were able to get our podcast going. And I have to say something, Duncan. I mentioned your Dodgers the last time. I'm a long-suffering Reds fan. The Reds are now in first place, I think by a half game. But for the Reds to be in first place is like something that is very foreign to most of us. So we, we are at least rejoicing temporarily that we, at least for now, are an 11-game winning streak, which is something the Reds haven't seen for, I think, since 1957. So the teams... uh, it, it was interesting. Yeah, I think the last time you guys lost was the game that uh, my awesome partner Kim and I were at, at uh, in Cincinnati where uh, the Dodgers beat him, but... Yeah, Cincinnati's playing very well. They've got some really good young talent. Yeah, and you know they were ready to run the the owner out of town a year ago, and now that they finally got some young players that are coming through the system, uh, they're so, the fans are showing up again. The TV ratings are up, so uh, you know things are looking good for my my team. I've had I've been a, f- a fan of since I was in grade school. 
So anyway, let's move on. It's not, it's not a sports podcast. We just uh, we just like to mention these things in, in, in passing. Let's get down to business. And, and one thing that uh, we sent out, and by the way, we also have a Facebook page. If you would like to follow or like our Facebook page, just go to Facebook. Look up NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana, that exact phrase, and you can like or follow our Facebook page. We try to update that when there's major news. And we've had that this week. There was a meeting and a vote by a House of Representatives committee. And it, it's something that at least, the again, all, all these revenue uh, uh, bills have to originate in the House. And this is the first vote in a committee before it moves forward. Of course, it has to go to the Senate and, of course, subject to presidential uh, approval and uh, so forth. But we've had some uh, indication as to what at least the majority wants in the house and it's it's not very encouraging so what do what first of all what was this vote and meeting of this house committee and what could it mean for us yeah this is one of those like you said um in the process of of making bills and passing laws uh, it, the sausage making can be interesting or horrifying and in this case it's not good um they're talking about uh, stripping, as we know, they were going to strip away about $10 billion of the Inflation Reduction Act money that we were getting. That was expected. But they've also wanted to strip away um, another billion dollars from our funding for this year. This coming year, it would be a billion dollars less than it was last year. And that's almost $2 billion less than the president requested. And that would just, you know, we're just now starting to get decent numbers uh, on the phones for people, you know, people to be able taxpayers, the people who voted for these folks to be able to get through, get their question answered, find out what they can do if they owe, you know, all the run the gamut. And now if we get this cut, our hiring is going to be um, it's going to be much more difficult enforcement of the taxes, which the, every poll you see, every single poll you see, people want to make sure that their fair share of taxes are being paid by everyone. And to try and pull back money again from this is going to hurt that as well. I'm, you know, I'm not sure what's going on aside from political theater, but when you've got an organization that brings in anywhere from 93 to 95% of your total revenue, you don't want to be cutting that you want to be adding to that. And that's just not happening with the bills that we're seeing coming out of the House uh, right now. And, and it should be said, there are certain politicians, not all by any means, but certain people in government who run for elective office who like to use the IRS as a punching bag and uh, as a way to raise money because people obviously don't like the IRS if we have to come after them. And again, that's part of trying to administer the tax law so people who are honest are, are taken care of because people who maybe are not, uh, you know, the IRS is in fact doing enforcement in that area. But it's interesting, some of these people are the first to complain if they're trying to get through for help from the IRS and cannot get it. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's like once they start hearing from their constituents, then it's like, oh, well, there may be a problem with this. But they've got other, you know, I'm not sure if it's donors that uh, don't want them to succeed or what the deal is. Uh, it's it's just not a pleasant prospect. And 
you know, the whole thing is everybody at the IRS knows, and I would assume the vast majority of folks watching or listening to this podcast know, you know, this isn't about 87,000 agents knocking on your door with guns and things of that nature. It's to be able to do the job that we've been set up to do. That's, that's all it is in a nutshell. There are going to be certain audits that need to be done. There are going to be certain collections that need to be done for people that, that do owe. And there are going to be need to be phone calls that need to be answered, returns that need to be processed. Taxpayer advocate needs to help folks who have fallen through in the system, et cetera, et cetera. And we need to have the funding and the folks to be able to do all that. And when you're pushing back so hard on this, we're not going to have that opportunity. This may get through the House of Representatives. You know, I mean, that's the committee vote. It still has to go to the full House through the Rules Committee and all those sorts of things. But if this or something close to it does pass the House, this has to go to the Senate and it has to get the signature of the president. Now, it should be noted that this deal to have avoid a debt ceiling crisis did put a cap on spending but it didn't say that agreement didn't say where the spending would be increased and cut and so forth. So what we're seeing now is this underlying battle to figure out what happens underneath those caps, correct? Yeah, it's and right now it's getting really ugly because you've got a certain percentage of folks in the house that are saying, "Oh no, that was a ceiling. There's there's a much more lower floor that we can go to." And that was nobody's understanding. That's this is almost like a shady used card lot you're going to. You agree on the price on the car, and they say, "Oh no, we forgot. There's you know three thousand more dollars that needs to be added for this and this." That's not the way it's supposed to work when you have a handshake deal, and that's what we've had in the debt ceiling issue is a handshake deal. Now you're already seeing signs that people are very concerned about a shutdown come September thirtieth. And that's just, it's just nuts. Well, that was the next thing I was going to talk about. So you've already introduced that subject because another uh, issue that's been going around, particularly uh, in the federal employee media, is the fact that uh, all these disputes could lead to a government shutdown in October. Uh, That's very discouraging. But, you know, you cannot rule that out when these sorts of squabbles are going on. The House is about to pass some kind of budget uh, that uh, the Senate may not go along with, the President may not go along with. And when you have that situation, that is combustible. You could always have some, you know, continuing resolutions if there's still talk going on. But we have to face it. We could face another government shutdown, sadly. Yeah, it's it's just insane to me. Uh, yeah, this is this is basic math 101. If you want to reduce the deficit, you want to have more money coming in. So you need to feed the organization that has the money coming in. If you decide to say, hey, we're so upset, we're going to cut the money coming in, we don't want them to have it, and it's going to end up being a shutdown, which helps nobody, especially the American taxpayer, with all the things that are shut down and they're not able to get services for, I, I just... I, it just blows my mind sometimes, the uh, circular logic that goes around there. So we'll be keeping a close eye on this as a union. We will continue to provide updates on this podcast and also on our Facebook page that I mentioned earlier. 
One aspect of of all this is that the uh, IRS funding bill, normally within that package of of funding uh, consideration that's in that particular legislation that funds IRS and other agencies, the pay raise for federal employees is generally a part of that. However, this committee vote was silent on that issue. The president has proposed a 5.2% average increase. Um, What do you think that means, if anything, that the Congress so far is silent on this issue? I was very surprised by that. Um, I figured that they would be coming back with uh, some sort of uh, issue on that, which would be problematic to begin with, because for the vast majority of the past several decades, there's been pay parity between the military and federal employees. And it looks like the federal employees or the military employees, excuse me, are going to be getting at the very least 5.2% increase. And then some lower ranks are going to be getting additional bonuses and things of that nature. So, you know, it it did surprise me that it's going to be surprising. My thinking is, and, and again, it goes back to basic math, if you're having these increases, if and you know we all want to pay increase, because I can tell you right now, the folks that I work with every single day, they deserve a pay increase because they're working their butts off, and I think that everybody across the country in the service is doing that. Um, but is that going? That's going to be taking a big chunk of money, and is that going to interfere with any of the hiring that we have, things of that nature? So. You know, and some of the things that they talked about, you know, wanting to reduce benefits, eliminate the supplemental, um, you know, income, the supplemental annuity for folks that retire, that are eligible, that retire before 62, uh, doing the high five versus the high three for retirement calculations, um, you know, talking about increased cost for federal health insurance once you retire. There's a whole bunch of stuff here that's penny wise and pound foolish to me that is just very, very much anti-government employee. So the way the system works is that the Congress goes through the whole system and does not state a pay raise. The president sets it, and he, the president has said 5.2%. So we don't know what's going to happen. We just know that initial uh, committee vote did not include a pay raise either way. We don't know what the full House will do or what the Senate will do, but we will keep close track of that and keep you apprised again on this podcast and on our Facebook page. Let's turn to another issue, and this one is one that's very important to people at the IRS. You know, I, I've told you I go all the way back to the 1990s when we called this Flexi Place before technology got increased a great deal. It's now called Telework, where people are working at home. Uh, telework uh, was rampant throughout the federal government, private sector during COVID. Now that COVID has eased and those restrictions, health restrictions have eased, even though COVID's not away, gone completely, it's to, it's at a manageable level now, according to what I'm hearing and the, what the health officials are saying. Now, with our telework issue uh, with the IRS, we'll go back to the previous system. And when you hear or, or read people in Congress saying we want all federal employees back on the job all the time, that's not true at IRS because IRS does have a contract with NTEU that governs this. So remind uh, our IRS employees, what that means. Yeah, again, part of these proposals that are coming up out of the House are 
to return uh, the telework policies to pre-pandemic. And there are many in the House that would like to eliminate telework totally uh, because of the fact they don't like it. Not the fact that it doesn't work, because study after study has shown if you're productive at work, you're going to be productive at home. If you're not productive at work, you're probably not going to be productive at home. Who'd have thunk that? Um, but what they've uh, what they've said is we want to roll it back to pre-pandemic levels. For the IRS, okay, that's fine, because we've got a contract that is under pre-pandemic levels. And that's going to be showing that we have the telework system that we have now. We have a contract. It's legally enforceable. It would literally take an act of Congress and then signed by the president to roll back telework uh, totally for us to have any sort of change. We can't conflict with federal law, but as of right now, nothing I've heard is going to be conflicting with our agreement. So we are going to be status quo uh, for the you know near future and hopefully for the long-term future. It's just... It just doesn't make any sense, but again, a lot of what's being coming out of uh, coming out of some of these politicians is not making sense. So the way it works at IRS, just for as a reminder for people, is that uh, the contract says at a minimum employees must be in the office two days out of a pay period, which is generally two days uh, from that uh, within that two week period of the pay period. So you could be at home working uh, all those other days. Now, not every position can do it. Most can, but uh, not everybody can uh, telework that amount of time. But uh, Duncan, it does give many, many employees the opportunity to at least work at home some of the time. Absolutely, it does. And, you know, and part of that is for depending upon the position, going out in the field and starting to do that, which we didn't do any during the pandemic. So that is going to be a change where people who are revenue agents, revenue officers, things of that nature, are going to be going back out in the field to uh, post, uh, you know, POAs, the power of attorneys, the taxpayers, things of that nature. But there should still not be a change in the uh, ability for telework for folks who are teleworking now. We did telework 100% during the pandemic. That's That was a safety issue. But now it goes back to, like you said, the twice per pay period, depending upon if they have, uh, you know, if they have work within the commuting area that they're doing mobile work, then they don't even have to show up then aside from things like mail. So again, that's uh, your, the contract kicks in again. Uh, that's what governs this. It would take a change in law to, to change that. And this contract still has several years to go. So we don't expect any changes. Or really, Duncan, wouldn't you say, based on the national negotiation team you were with talking with the management, the management, uh, this goes all the way back to the 90s, this whole system of, of, uh, of tele telework then called FlexiPlace. But don't you think the management now understands after all this time that there is something in this for management and that the current system is working well for them as well. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things that works well for recruitment and retention because people do want to telework more. So that's a great way to, you know, offer it to prospective employees and to keep the employees you have, because that's been a, uh, a great inducement for both ways. 
So, and management does realize, again, as I said, if you're a good employee, you're going to be a good employee, whether you're in the office or whether you're in, uh, at home. The other part is there are some management officials out there who want to go back to, okay, well, we want to have that dynamic where everybody's in the office and everybody is talking and they're exchanging ideas around the water cooler and things of that nature. And as I've expressed to management, um, you know, that hasn't happened for 20 years. So they're talking about something that was in the late 90s at best. And it's just one of those things that, you know, has gone forever. So they need to embrace the new reality and uh, make the best of it and do what's right for the employees and the taxpayers. That's what it comes down to. Sort of a side issue, not really a side issue, it's a big one. It's, it's related to the end of COVID as, as a pandemic and also related to telework. IRS had a backlog of 7,000 reasonable accommodation requests. I can't even get my head around that number. And uh, you had mentioned how in the world is the management ever going to be able to sift through 7,000 reasonable accommodation requests? Do we even have enough people qualified to to actually you know sort through them and, and make decisions? Well, it looks like that's not going to have to happen now, Correct. Yeah, that is correct. What is the IRS has told uh, National NTU is that they are going to be basically dropping all of those because of the fact that there is no more pandemic. The COVID emergency has been lifted. So those reasonable accommodations for COVID are no longer going to be in effect or needed. Now, how that's going to impact uh, individual employees is yet to be seen because every reasonable accommodation is a little bit different depending upon the employee situation. So there could be a lot of different permeations to this, but the main thing is that it's since there's no pandemic, there's not going to be reasonable accommodations for the pandemic. So if you have a pending reasonable accommodation, uh, if you haven't already, you'll be receiving notification that that will no longer be considered, correct? That's 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 the way it should work. Uh, how it will work is anybody's guess. Yes, uh, National NTU in their conversations with IRS has asked for it to be rolled out exactly as you described. How it will in practicality, uh, I, I I hope it will work out that way. But somehow, I just don't see it going that smoothly. Yeah, Duncan, I've been retired too long. I just uh, assume things are going to be done a certain way. <laughs> That's both of my union official uh, history and my time as a manager. But I guess I, I'm, reality is setting in. I want to ask about something else uh, uh, apart from all that. There was a proposal from the management to implement something called the Fast 8 Timekeeping System. I know that NTU had a lot of questions about this, uh, discussed this with the management. There has been a recent decision on, first of all, tell us what that system would have been had it been implemented and what the management has, has just recently decided. Yeah, we, uh, for those of you working, everybody knows our uh, timekeeping system is a single entry uh, time recording or setter, as you might know it as. You know, Setter's been around for a long time, and it's a very antiquated system, but it's worked well for us. It's a, uh, it's something the IRS created itself. So they had gone out and said, we need to 
replace us, we need to update our system and came up with this Fast 8 uh, contracted with this company. Well, they've just let us know in the last week or so, and we negotiated this uh, to try and make it as seamless as possible. We wanted to make sure that it was very similar to Sutter in its appearance, so there wouldn't be a lot of training or issues with employees having to do it. But now they've said, we're dropping this. Um, my guess is issues with vendors. We get a lot of vendors uh, that say, you know, we can do this. We're great. We're awesome. We can handle this. Um, and then they get to us and they're like, oh, dear God, we didn't realize the size or scope of this. We can't handle it. And I'm betting it is something of that nature. I don't have any personal information. That's just an educated guess on my part. But what this means is, as of right now, we will continue to use Setter into the near and possibly far future. Well, it just reminds me of that old Broadway uh, song from the 60s, Promises, Promises. Vendors <laughs> <laughs> yeah. promise, and yeah. it's like reality sets in, like, oh, can I really do this? This is a big agency. And that's exactly what I think happens to a lot of them. We've seen this in a couple of different things over the last several years where they've awarded it to a vendor, uh, different issues, and then the vendor just couldn't handle the volume that they were going to hit. And, um, yeah, it's it's just one of those things. Okay, Duncan, time for your final comment. Yeah, uh, my final comment today. Today is the last day for the FEVS survey. And, again, we're talking about Friday, June 23rd. And be it FEVS, um, I'm more partial to employee pulse surveys because I think they're done uh, more often. The FEVS are a moment in time when you're taking it. But any of this, I think, is very valuable for employees to take. And the reason being is, is you know, you've got to let management know what works for you and what doesn't work for you. You know, if there are issues that, you know, on these systems and things of that nature that you can put in the FEVs, employee pulse surveys, whatever it is, these are listened to. These are looked at very closely. I can tell you, I've been on teams and am on teams that look at these results. And so to make us a better agency and more responsive, you know, we you need to do these types of surveys and uh, to make sure that your voice is heard so we can make the positive changes that we need. They are anonymous. They're not going to be coming back to bite you. It's just one of those things that, you know, we can't address a problem with data if there is no data to back that up. We can say, oh, yeah, we know we need better training. Well, if we don't have the data for that, upper-level management saying, well, you know, nobody's saying that, so we guess it's okay and we don't need to spend the extra money on it doing it, for example, in person as opposed to on computer. So that's why I think these surveys are very important to do, and you want to make your voice heard. Duncan, I'm going to talk about something a little bit uh, off all the all that we talked about today and recently, but uh, at the time we record this, there's a lot of publicity about a submersive vehicle having imploded in the Atlantic, some people who paid a quarter of a million dollars to go on this excursion to look at the Titanic. And, and it, it's just a sad tragedy. Five people died, and, and you don't want to see it uh, in any case. But as an old news hand, and a guy who still writes a local news blog where I live, I used to make a living as a reporter years ago, 
you know, look at that. It was former President Obama who gave an interview to CNN and said, what bothers him is we have all this wall-to-wall publicity about this Titanic excursion that went bad. And yet, at the same time, there's a group of Pakistani people who are trying to get out of the country for political and economic reasons. A smuggler was trying to take them to Greece. It capsized. Hundreds of people died. And I think sometimes we, people in the news business, have to look in the mirror and say, are we really spending the amount of time we should on some of these stories? Should we, as a media, as, 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 a, as a new set of news organizations, and I'm not an international reporter, but there's been a cutback among most news organizations in the U.S. on their international reporting. Should the American media have spent more attention on this horrible tragedy in Pakistan where these smugglers were trying to bring people to Greece illegally, of course, but still, you know, several hundred lives were lost where people were fleeing a very bad situation politically and economically in their home country of Pakistan. So maybe sometimes um, we in America just have to, because if you watch the BBC News, they gave a very significant coverage to both stories. In America, you heard all about uh, the the excursion to, to the Titanic and very little, maybe some, but very little about this terrible tragedy in, in back, near the coast of Greece. So just a little editorial comment on my part, uh, if you can stand that a little off the subject. But I guess, hey, I host this podcast. I guess I can do that, can I? Well, yeah, thank you. I want to thank Duncan Giles for once again joining us on the Chapter 49 podcast. Uh, I'm a volunteer. I'm very happy to do that. And Duncan takes time out of his busy schedule as a chapter president. We try to do this weekly. We don't make every week. And probably July 4th week, uh, Duncan and I will probably take some time off then. But we expect to be back next week if, if all goes well. And we thank you for watching and listening. We look at our statistics, and we have a pretty steady audience out there. We appreciate all of you, except, of course, the video last week where I looked terrible. But that was fine. I didn't mind us losing some audience there. But we want to thank you again for your support, for watching and listening. You are the reason that we continue this podcast and have for about three years now. In the meantime, please be safe and be kind. Be kind.